This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Coaching Guru, welcome back into the show. Good to hear from you, Wayne. How are you, mate? How's life been for New Zealand's finest individual? <laughs> I'll have to ask him later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wayne, we've been talking about this and I've been asking for questions from the listeners and we've got some, which we will get to, but sport versus screens. Straight away, my ears and eyes pricked up and the subheading is the sporting war against the machine. Um, in a in a summarising statement, what lent you towards writing a report like this? Well, I, it was actually always in Ireland and in between copious quantities of the, the black stuff, the wonderful Guinness. In between that, I, I was talking to coaches about the, some of the challenges that they're facing in Ireland. And, you know, you think, well, the other part of the world and it's, it's, a, it's an island and, you know, maybe they're not experiencing the same issues that we're seeing. But the first thing coaches said was, kids, they don't want to come to training. They don't want to work hard. They spend all their time on their phones. They're always on their devices. And it hit me, Steph. I, I went, it's a global issue that mm. we're, we're offering great coaching programs, wonderful sporting experiences. The clubs are doing the best they can. But all the time, the, the enemy's in the pocket. You know, The enemy's in their hand. It's in their bag. There's this constant lure away into the electronic world. And then that led me to think, well, if that's the case, we're not going to be able to remove screens from the world. That's never going to happen. Mm. It's up to us to be better at what we do. How do we, how do we win this war? How do we compete and make sport as appealing or more appealing than staring at a screen? How much of a role has the adults in these children's lives have? And I'm, I'm saying parents, I'm saying teachers, because I get the feeling now Parents are way more busy and have a lot more commitments than my parents did when I was a kid. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? And, and look, I was out for dinner a few weeks ago and there was two parents and they snapped at their kids and said, hey, no phones at the table, which is fair and reasonable. They were in their early teens. But then mum and dad constantly on Facebook, sending texts a whole bit. And one of the kids snapped at dad and said, hey, dad, what are you doing? Oh, look, I've just got to, you know, that word just, mate, you know, mm. I've just got to send that. I've just got to check that. So I think they're seeing us and we've all fallen for the same trap is that you can't put your phone down over dinner. How many times have you been out to dinner and you're sitting there and you're enjoying a steak and you're having a, a great time with mates or a partner or a friend? You lift your head and you look around the room and there's people sitting at the restaurant who are not talking to each other. Mm. They're staring at their phones. So the kids are seeing what we're doing and the way we're interacting with screens. And it's no wonder then that they think, well, this is pretty normal because that's what my adult role models are doing. Yeah. 
Gosh, I was going to say, how, how do we fix it? And I've just seen a, a, one of the headings in your report says, what's the solution? It, it's, gosh, it's, how do you find a solution to this? Well, you're up against, uh, I hate to say the word enemy, but you're up against an opponent who's not playing by the rules because when you think about it, every time you go online, there's something new. So if you watch, what's the way the kids use TikTok and, and it, they don't go back and rewatch the same thing over and over again. They watch it once and then they send it to everybody that they've known since the day they, they were born mm. and they swap and then they get on a loop of discussion about what happens there. Now think about a lot of, coaching and sporting context, quite often they turn up and what do we do? Hey, do two laps around the park for warm-up. What do we do? We do the same warm-up, the same stretches, the same drills, the same routines, presenting that to kids who don't like doing the same thing twice, who are constantly looking for rapidly changing and engaging stimulation. I, I, I think that we, we can win the war if we're prepared to adapt and make our training inspirational, engaging, um, really satisfying, you know, I think we can do it. But if what we're doing is just complaining about how difficult it is and how hard the screens are to, to battle with and doing the same things over and over and over ourselves, well, they're going to completely disengage. And it's a, it's a massive challenge, I think, for coaches in sports like swimming, rowing, diving, uh, track and field, where they've got huge loads and they're doing a lot of work repetitively, that's not something that the kids are used to because the screens give them constant change, constant variety, uh, immediate feedback, instant gratification. It's very hard to compete against the screens. So I, I, my suggestion to coaches are we've got to think more like the screens. We've got to coach more like the screens. Because when you watch kids on screens, it's almost like it's almost trance-like. It takes over their whole world, and you can't talk to them because they're so at one with that screen. And also, if you lose on uh, your game on a screen, no one sees you've lost. But if you lose a game at sport, they see you lose, and it's more comfortable for no one to watch you lose. That's a fascinating point, mate. I didn't even thought of that, but that, that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the 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 athletes who uh, are intimidated or find it difficult to be out there and say this is me, this is what I can do. Have a look at my performance. The scoreboard is there for all to see. You're exactly right. They can be in their lounge room, be playing a game. They they lose the game or the character dies or whatever it might be, depending on what screen they're staring at at the time, and they just start again. And no one cares. And there's no judgment. And there's no parent yelling at them and there's no irate fans on the side. It's a pretty safe experience for them. You can see again, you know, so, so that then, but I, I think then stuff is, is all right. Well, if that's the world, we can't change the world. What can I as a coach, what can I as a parent do differently to make what I'm doing safer, mm. to make kids feel more comfortable and express themselves because the, the world ain't going to change for us. And this is a constant battle, mate, isn't it, that schools will talk about banning screens and taking phones off kids. That's only a very, very short-term fix because, you know, as soon as they get out of school, they're straight back on it. 
you know, and I, the other thing I've, I've, that, that I think is, is super challenging for those really high commitment sports, you know, like swimming and uh, rowing, some of those sports, you know, what does a kid do first thing in the morning? They turn their screen on. Mm. What do they do if they're a swimmer or a diver or a rower? They get up and they go straight to training. Or what does a kid do immediately after school? They turn their screens on and they start connecting with their friends. What do they do if they're in serious sport? They go and train. So we're, we're also taking them away from their screens and their community, their connection to their friends and family. We're taking them away from that at those two critical moments of the day. So naturally enough, their friends are going, hey, you know, what happened to Sam? What happened to, to Bill? What happened to Susie? They weren't online immediately before school, immediately after school. And that starts to become an issue because they, they're missing out on that communication experience with friends and family. Mm. Um, some questions that have come in, one's come in from an Aussie listener, actually, Wayne. Tom, I'll read it in full. Um, <clears throat> I don't really have an issue with the kids playing the odd game on Xbox, etc., but it's the YouTube and TikTok influencers that have the kids addicted, that is a massive issue. They talk like them, they behave like them, which is disgusting, and they swear. Some spend seven to eight hours a day on that stuff, and it's just not right. Mine don't, luckily, because their addiction is sports, so they're outside all the time, but it's a big, big problem. And I tend to, TikTok is enormous in the youth. They just sit there watching. Yeah, and and the, have you noticed too, with, with particularly with TikTok, but even now on uh, Facebook and YouTube, people are getting smarter. There was some data that came out for, about YouTube where they said um, after the first 30 seconds, you've already lost 30% of your audience. I mean, think about that. After, no matter how good you are and how engaging the content might be, if you're on YouTube, after the first 30 seconds, you've lost about 30% of your audience. After two minutes, you've lost 70%. Mm-hmm. So the message is they want short bursts, they need it to be engaging, and even then you've only got them for a minute or two. That, that presents a lot of challenges because, you know, again, Stafford, what we've done in coaching for so long is we've tried to get kids better by just repeating things. So I say, right, you want to be better passing left to right, we're going to do 200 left to right passes. That doesn't work anymore because repetition is not part of their world anymore. It's mm. they, they don't do anything more than once or twice. And this is a massive challenge for coaches who might have said, look, I've got a, a great program. I believe in repetition and repetition is the, master, is the mother of excellence. That may have been the way we've operated in the past. You're now doing with kids who after they've done the first two or three have switched off and said, what else have you got for me? And we then have to be better at creating quality learning experiences and engaging with the kids and try and keep them connected a little bit more through some different techniques. But, yeah, that, that is that, that rabbit hole, isn't it? You know, you, you sometimes you're on and, you know, and I pick a classic is rugby. You know, I was watching a little bit of that Irish game from Six Nations and at the end of the YouTube, there's about an 11-minute summary from an English broadcaster. You know, the next thing that pops up is a 30-second one-minute interview with one of the Irish players. And then the next thing that pops up is a New Zealand commentator talking about the game. And all of a sudden, you've lost an hour of your life because <laughs> of that, that suction, brain suction effect of dragging you in. 
it, look, it is a big, big issue, particularly for young kids. Uh, another one here says, this is from Zane, my 14-year-old son lives at the skate park and my 10-year-old daughter spends may wa- way more time outside with her mates than she does at home with her device. That said, I see kids as having far less interest in formalised sport these days. They seem much more interested in sports where they can choose when uh, they can choose when and where they do it. For example, scootering, skating, mountain biking. They pick their own schedule. Interesting observation there too, Wayne. Yeah, Matt, that, that's, that would be one of the most, uh, it's, it's almost a tidal wave of change to really pull on a big analogy there. That, that it is, that what's happening in sport around the world is the numbers of people who want to participate in some sort of physical activity is strong. Uh, the kids are saying that it is strong in a lot of numbers that we had pre-COVID. Wayne, we're just, you, you're just, you're just breaking up there, Wayne. You, you must, have you moved? Right, we'll try again. Have you moved? I, I, now I haven't moved. How's that? I'm oh, no, that's again. good now. That's crystal clear now. All right. I tried to, so I don't know how much of that you got, but what we're seeing is that the numbers of kids coming back to sport is exactly what we'd hope post-COVID, but they're looking for different experiences. And the shift towards informal sport to things like park run, to turning up and doing parkour instead of gymnastics, to doing creek swimming and open water swimming with friends rather than doing organised, those things are booming all over the world. The, the, the rise of informal sport hmm. where people are saying, I want an experience with sport that suits me. And this is the big challenge then for clubs, isn't it? Because what clubs want to do, junior clubs want to say, come to our ground with our coaches doing our program, go to our bar, eat our, they want it all to be centralized and delivered in a simple structured way that suits them. The participants are saying, no, what we want is an experience that suits us. Mm. And if you can't deliver it, we'll do it ourselves. We'll generate it ourselves. Yeah, really good point. Uh, Another one here says, Steffi, the other key issue is the academy approach to sport these days. Academies sell false hope to parents trying to live vicariously through their kids. This leads to kids thinking they have to make an academy to be considered any good at sport. Unfortunately, these academies are generally revenue-focused, so they limit opportunities to those kids whose parents have a cash to pay for their false success. My son hated the academy culture of his football club, so he quit football at 11 years of age and has never once considered going back. Yeah, this is something that's very close to my heart, mate. I've got a 20-year-old that referees football, so soccer, on the Gold Coast. I've got a 16-year-old that plays do you know that there's one of the academy programs here for 16-year-olds He's charging, I hope you're sitting down, they're charging $5,000 a year. Now, they say to the kids, that's, they say to the parents is the point, they say to the parents, look, that will give you access to world-class coaching, uh, a professional environment, a whole bunch of stuff. Mate, from what I've seen, all they do is give the kids really nice tracksuits. They have some sort of accredited coaching and they do a lecture now and again. They do a pre-season nutrition lecture. 
it's not really what I would call an academy program. And you're exactly right that the, the parents are now of the belief that uh, in, in a sport that is basically some air pumped into a chunk of leather being kicked around a park, that unless I'm paying top dollar, my kid won't get great coaching, won't get the experiences they want. Now, if you combine that, you and I have talked about sporting parents in the past, that vulnerability that so many sporting parents have got who honestly believe that their talented 11-year-old is one step away from Manchester United, that they'll pay anything to see their child have that opportunity that they think will take them to Premier League or international level professional football. And it's a miss. It, it, the, I, I haven't seen the data, but I would love somebody, if there's a researcher out there, I would love someone to, to do some research for us and go, these are the kids that are currently playing professional level football or senior football in the world, and these are the kids that came through an expensive academy program and see where the two lines are. I suspect that the actual success rate for the kids coming through really expensive academy programs, particularly 10, 11, 12 years of age, the success rate is no higher and probably even lower than kids who've just come through good, solid club-based coaching programs where they felt well-supported and they were playing footy with their mates. The data might be there, someone someone from uh, AUT or somebody might be able to throw it at us, but the, I, I, I have no doubt anecdotally that the success rate of kids in those programs is no higher than the kids who are just in great local community football clubs. Is there, um, I'll, I'll close off shortly, Wayne. Is there too much um, importance, and I don't know, you've been doing it a long, long time, is there too much importance on winning and talent being associated with sport? Um, I know a while ago, I think and I might be wrong, I think it was netball at school level, they didn't keep score and even got participation certificates and they just said, that's just wrong, you gotta, you got to train that win-at-all-costs mentality. But sport isn't all about winning competitions and gaining national recognition. So the natural talent part, how important is that? Yeah, not really. Uh, the system is largely based around the world, so the sporting system, the pathway model, is largely based on finding talent, putting into intensive training programs and accelerating the rate of development so that the player will eventually make it to professional level or to Olympic level. It is, again, it's a myth. It doesn't really work. Like the, the, but as you and I know, you, I mean, you talk to some great sports people. If you say to a, an all black, if you say to a fern, if you say, why do you do it? They'll go, Chris, I love it. Mm. That's the key. Love is the most powerful high-performance word in sport because if they love what they do, they'll do what they love. If they're doing what they love, so they're turning up, if they've got any talent at all, there's a chance for that talent to be expressed. So if we put love of the game first and if we put a love of what they do as our primary focus as parents and coaches and clubs, they'll keep coming. And if they're coming, you know, the, the only child who doesn't get better is the one who's not there. And that's our, that's our absolute priority is if we go the other way and put talent first, I just I mean, think about it. We put together these junior talent programs. I know it's a huge issue, I know, in, in New Zealand and everywhere else. But if you put a 10 or 11-year-old in uh, an elite junior sports academy, what happens? The kid gets an accelerated expectation, so do his parents, 
of his capabilities or her capabilities. The kids who don't get selected go, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not good enough to be playing this sport or any other sport. I'll just walk away from it. Nobody wins Mm. when you put talent first. When you put love of what you do first, everybody wins. Because even if that kid drops out of rugby at 15, when they're 25, 26, 27, 30, and they've got kids of their own, the first thing they do is bring them back to the game because they love the game so much. Inspiring kids to fall in love with what they do, there is no loss in that. Everybody wins from their staff. Clubs win, the sports win, kids win, everybody wins. If we make it about talent first, everybody loses. It's it's the strongest message that I can give. Don't make it about talent. Wayne, we've got to push on. We're way over time. I'll leave you with this. I think it's tongue-in-cheek. Paul has texted her and said, the easy fix is to coach by 30-second TikTok videos. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Wayne, we've got to TikTok go. Coaches. Thanks, heaps. <laughs> Thanks, heaps, buddy. There he is, Wayne Goldsmith out of Australia. We'll have a break and we'll come back.